Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Latch Mama podcast. Um, for those of you who have never joined us before, the Latch Mama podcast is for parents, especially mothers in the trenches with kiddos. Um, we have a good one for you guys today, something we've never talked about. We are going to talk about um, navigating some unique educational needs um, for kids. You're listening to the Latch Mama podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Wirt, busy mom of six and owner of LatchMama.com. Join us each week as we talk about pregnancy, breastfeeding, postpartum, and all things motherhood. So we have Kim no, here today. Great, um, and we actually went to high school together, which is kind of rad. Um, but she is going to introduce herself, and then we're going to kind of talk about kind of navigating the public school system a little bit um, when our kids have unique needs. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yeah. Tell us about yourself. Yeah. Super excited to be here. Um, so I'm Kim Handsome. I um, am heading into my 18th year of education. Wow. I think all in the public school system. I did. Um, I do have a couple of years of like preschool experience as well. But um, yeah, um, I have worked in Powhatan County Public Schools and Chesterfield County Public Schools. So um, I have, you know, a little bit of difference between mm -hmm. um, rural versus, you know, um, the big community, if you will. Um, and I got my Ph.D. in special education disability policy in 2018. Wow. Um, most of my experience is high school, um, but still know a lot about the little babies as well. Um, <laughs> have two of my own at home that are older, eight and 13. Um, but yeah, special education is, is my area. It's my love, my passion, love it. all the things. So that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So those of you pretty much know my six children, well, they're not all school aged, but the majority of them are homeschooled, um, which means we don't have to really worry about IEPs or 50. What five oh four, which is also a small business loan. If anybody was wondering, so I get a little, I get, a, I get a little tripped up in my in my mom versus business owner brain. Um, but Lindy's here too, so Lindy yeah. has navigated a little bit of it through the public school system as well. But we're going to kind of let Kim run the show um, a little bit today and talk about what she sees and where kind of the most kind of anxiety I feel like comes from a mom trying to, you know advocate and navigate things for their for their little ones in a system that I think can sometimes be um, riddled with maybe red tape maybe relationships that need to be managed and overcome mm -hmm. and stuff like that because um, let's be honest sometimes I choose to homeschool because I'm scared of all of that stuff myself <laughs> yeah it, it can be it can be a lot but um I don't know if we want you threw out some really great questions to Karen and I was going through sure. some of those questions. And I wonder if we do just start kind of at the beginning. I almost feel like the first one, um, he might have to remind me what it was. Um, kind it, of signs of kind of like beginning that kind of process to find some support for your child, kind of heading into public or even preschool, because I know you've got some, mm -hmm. um, some info there as well. Yeah, I think that's a, um, a great place to start. Maybe um, what... What is an IEP and what is a 504? <laughs> yeah. That would be a really great place to start or, as well. Or just yeah. like early inter intervention mm -hmm. stuff that yep. can start kind of, you know, easing your way into right. maybe the fact that your child does have some unique needs. Yeah. So, so I think um, it's important to start as far as um, knowing that there are obviously kind of like you said, red tape as far mm -hmm. as there's different laws, you know, that the public school has to follow and then different laws that come down to us from the feds and then 
really all of the federal law is the um, IDEA, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Um, and it does say in there, then the states kind of take IDEA and adopt, you know, from there as well. So depending on what state you're in, your laws might look a little bit different um, than what maybe I'm describing today. They should be somewhat aligned, but just a couple little things might be different just because all of my experiences in Virginia. Um, but so, and then also the difference, so IDEA is what the IEP falls under, the Individualized Education Plan um, within the school systems. And then there has that 504, like you mentioned, your children have, um, which falls under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So you're dealing with two completely wow. different laws oh. that the school system has to serve. Okay. Um, that's fascinating. Yeah. How many, how many minutes are we in? And I've already learned something. Yep. I'm just going to sit back today, guys. This is great. I love it when I can I teach love people it. something. Yes. Um, so, and oftentimes people are confused about like the difference between an IEP or a 504, mm -hmm. or sometimes people think that a 504 is like a watered down IEP or it's not as like important or as legal as an IEP, but it absolutely is as legal. Um, it is a legal document. They're both legal documents. Um, the 504 plan is for any student um, or any person really um, who has a documented medical diagnosis um, that impacts their ability to access their environment. Um, and for school children, that could be, you know, obviously they're having an issue accessing their education um, or it's substantially limiting one of their major life effects. And um, there's a ton of checklists and things that we have to go through. And so like when it talks about what it's substantially limiting, you're thinking about their ability to learn, their ability to um, stand, their ability to breathe. I mean, all those life things that we do um, if you have a medical diagnosis. So often the most um, common that is referenced, um, for examples, is like diabetes. So if we have a child that has diabetes, if their blood sugars mm -hmm. are not within range, if they're too high or too low, then they're obviously going to have some sort of medical issue that is going to mm -hmm. impact not only their ability to learn, but also their ability to function, mm -hmm. you know, within their body. Um, so then if we believe if the team, there's a team, and I'll talk about that team in a second, um, that says, yes, you meet the criteria for a 504 plan, we develop that plan, and it just provides accommodations um, that teachers can implement in the school setting. Um, so for example, that child with diabetes, maybe they don't, they test their blood sugar um, just prior to taking a test. And if it's out of the normal range, mm. then they don't take their test that day because they're not able wow. to think like they should normally, wow. you know, be able to think. That's so. fascinating. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Yep, I do. Because my son has a 504. It's a little bit more for on the behavioral, social, emotional side. Sure. I don't know why I never, like that is medical. I, my mind didn't even go. Do you remember, were you in any classes? Remember when, um, God, her name was Karen, I think, and she got extra snack time growing up. Do you remember? Were you in any classes no, with her? No, I don't remember I that. I do remember <laughs> that. I remember second grade trailer. She got to have an extra snack time. And I bet that was a 504 Probably. back in the day, like mm -hmm. 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Wow. Yep. I hadn't even thought about that. Okay, cool. And see, and as a kid in her class, yeah. you never even knew. You just knew. Well, we were always kind of jealous. Well, we right, actually sure. were a little jealous that she got extra <laughs> snack time. Um, but that's fantastic that she was, that wasn't anything that really had to be like negotiated, that that was something right. that was important and could be done. Wow. I had never thought about yeah. that. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. So how does one go about the 504? You said there was a team? 
Yeah. So for both the 504 and um, the IEP, which they're both different processes, but the team is typically consists of um, someone, the LEA representative. So local education agency representative basically means someone who can represent the school system, if you will, um, and okay. who has knowledge in both of the laws to be able to make decisions. Um, so in my current place of employment, I am that person. Okay. Um, but it could be a principal. It could be an assistant principal. It could be, you know, the director of special education. It could be all kinds of people. Okay. Um, so that person is typically there. Um, we often will have a school psychologist there because they're able to interpret, um, score reports, um, of different evaluations that have been completed. Okay. Um, and then we typically, um, have a general education teacher, um, if it's medical, I like to personally invite a nurse. Um, that's not necessarily required, but I don't know very much about all of the medical things, you yeah. know. Um, so I like to have that expertise there. And then we also like to include our school counselors um, because they are wrapping their rounds around their arms around our babies, you know. Um, let's see if I got everybody. I think that's it. So LEA, um, school psych. Oh, and then the parent and the student, depending on the mm -hmm. student's age or the student's maturity. I mean, we do have, I'm a huge advocate that students should be involved in all of their meetings from the time that we start those meetings, no matter how old they are. Um, but some parents, you know, don't mm -hmm. feel comfortable. So, um, but yeah, we always have the parent and the student there as well. Yeah, and our counselor extended that to the teacher mm -hmm. as well. And it was up to them if they wanted to join or not, which yeah. they have always come. Yeah, so, which See, is really I nice. love that. That's yeah. awesome. Because, yeah. I mean, and honestly, no matter what age, they're the ones that are sitting in the classroom and can tell mm -hmm. us, well, this is how I feel when I'm in the classroom, you know, based on whatever it is mm -hmm. that's going on. And they can tell them what can help or what can't help. Right. You know, so. Right. So can we just like back up from somebody who is completely ignorant to this whole thing? So th there's some sort of diagnosis for a 504. So does somebody just reach out to this? The parent just reaches out to the school at some point and just says, like, do they ask to talk to somebody specific? Like, or yeah. how and does you, that work? And you actually don't even have to have a diagnosis technically. So okay. um, at, as obviously the medical field, they are a, they diagnose folks mm -hmm. um, in the school system. We identify. We don't actually okay. diagnose. Um, but like if you suspect that your child has ADHD, for example, um, you can reach out. Yes. You basically reach out to the school. You can reach out to anybody and everybody is trained to know what a referral is. Okay. Um, and so once that referral is made, um, it actually starts a timeline for us. And so it's like a big deal that then the correct person needs to be notified that the referral has been made. Okay. Um, and so we come to the table, the parent shares their concerns. Um, and, they might say, I think my kid has ADHD or they have a medical diagnosis of ADHD. Um, but oftentimes the school system will want to do their own evaluations as well, um, even for a 504 plan. It might not be a very, well, it might not be as thorough of an evaluation as we might do for an IEP, but we might send out checklists to see are they having these behaviors in class? Because as we know, children like to act a lot different at home than Absolutely. they do at school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's important for us to see, because again, we want to have that educational impact. Um, and we also um, are not supposed to consider medication. So if your child is medicated or like that child with, um, with diabetes, we need to think about Yes, they're wearing an insulin pump all the time, but what if that insulin pump stops working one day? They may or may not, you know, need these accommodations. Yeah. So, 
And sometimes things probably would be my guess are noticed within the classroom. And then is there a referral process in that way as well? Yeah. So, so as, and anybody can make a referral, like the parent can make a referral if there's, or the guardian or whomever that is, if it's a classroom teacher or, um, you know, the elective teacher, it could be the librarian who happens to see that Mm -hmm. student all the time. Mm -hmm. It could be the custodian. I mean, it can literally be anybody. Um, And then from there, so we technically have um, 10 business days to pull the team together. Wow. And start this conversation. Yeah. So um, important for parents to be informed about that um, because, you know, I can't speak for all school systems necessarily, but I'm sure there are some out there where they forget that timeline or they get busy or is that whatever a, that is that a like. state wow. law or is that a do you have any ideas not um, to put you on the spot no but. that i believe is a state law here in virginia yeah wow yeah 10 days yep 10 to, I, don't, days. I don't know if to i get feel something on the calendar to yep come together and, and we we can't even get a slack group together when everybody just has to have their phone in 10 days <laughs> i mean i think that that's wow. fantastic i think yeah, that's great for the for the families and the kids but Holy overworked school systems, but wow, that's yeah, that's yeah. impressive. It's crazy, and that's why we tell you know we train our teachers and everybody else to say like as soon as somebody says I think my child has a disability or I want a five hundred four or I want an IEP, you know, you've got to tell the right person so that we can because that clock ticked as soon as those words came out of your mouth or you got that email or whatever. Wow. So, oh my gosh, what? Are I you- know, I just. Because some of the things that I've have heard, I mean, they have taken things to the school board and are literally begging for an IEP. And they're like, but this is not like maybe a test score. This isn't being shown that it's needed. And they are fighting so hard for their child. And here you say, just saying those words, there yeah. is something scheduled, you know, yeah. on the table. Like, let's get together and help this kid. Yeah. I mean, I th- So I hope that's majority. Yeah. I'm sure there's some difficult um situations situations out there but i think that's great so what happens to that 504 once it's done is it follow a child for the rest of it rest of their life or does it you know how does that work so um so right now i will say currently thank goodness um the feds are actually reviewing the regulations for 504s Um, i believe off the top of my head they have not been updated since like 1973 it may i might, might have that date wrong but it's been a while and so we're hoping they're reviewing them and getting feedback from folks and um we're hoping that that will all be released next year because with 504s under un the ADA, unlike um, IDEA, it's just not as clear. Um, It's very muddy. And so what has happened, although 504 is not special education, um, we mirror a lot of our processes and procedures like what we do for special education students. Um, So once that 504 is developed, we've said you're eligible. We've come up with what those accommodations are going to look like. Um, It's then shared with all of the teachers of that child um, and anybody else that may need to know if they have a special administrator or, you know, counselor or whatever. Um, And then it is to um, typically we review it annually. So at least once a year, um, a parent or anybody on that child's team can request to review it at any point. and then we discuss eligibility every three years to make sure the child still meets eligibility criteria. Um, again, same thing with like reviewing it annually. If somebody suspects that the child no longer needs it or if there's something additional, um, maybe they get an additional diagnosis and the parent wants that included, um, we can always come back to the table and do eligibility earlier. But yeah. 
And we were talking a little bit in the car earlier, um, Lindy and I were, about what's been on Gabe's for a while. Um, and it was yeah. just, it was interesting what you could put on them. Like, cause you've mm-hmm. always advocated for flexible seating and you've always made sure that it was on. Yeah. He was coming, he, you know, he was coming from homeschool and going into public school and I kind of knew, I mean, I'd been through public school. So just knowing him and knowing my kid, what could help him learn and what had been helping him learn at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think at the beginning he had some, flexible seating he had his fidget he had um some redirection rereading of directions he had maybe like five or six things and now he has one i think yeah that's going awesome. into sixth grade so like it's really yeah you come together and you figure out what he what he yeah. really needs and and I it can evolve like, and change yeah those advocacy skills mm-hmm. that i think you learn the second that you give birth to a baby probably the second you get pregnant you start to learn how to advocate for yourself and then for your child um but i think it's definitely a learned skill you know what i'm saying and it's like mm-hmm. speaking with you about it it seems super easy you're like we get together within 10 days and it's <laughs> right. great and it's whatever but i'm sure it's not always rainbow and sunshine no like, it's definitely it's, not it's definitely not is, there's sometimes conflict between a team or what a parent wants versus what you all see as educators as the most important thing and things like that. Yeah. And I think that's probably um, where we often see the most conflict is between what the te- the educator side of the team sees versus what the parent sees. Um, and so really trying to have that understanding of like, we're, we're trying to have the parent as part of our team. We're trying to really build a relationship here. We're trying to work together. Um, but sometimes we do have to help the parent to understand that, you know, you might not be seeing the same thing that we're seeing here in the school, whether Mm -hmm. it's worse or whether it's better. Um, but always for me, you know, knowing that the parent knows their child the best, no matter what, yes, they're here at school with us for six hours a day, but they know their child the best. And so if we can't come to an agreement or if we have to say no about something, at least trying to sympathize or empathize with the parent Mm -hmm. and help, you know, help them to understand that we, we do care, you know, we're here to help your kid, but sometimes the requests are just above and beyond what your student actually needs. And we don't want to enable the student either. We want to, you know, the expression is always level the playing field so that everybody's equal and not necessarily, we're, you know, giving somebody more than what they need. Yeah. I think I had a conversation with Gabe about that too, because, um, you know, we had these things on his on his 504, and I would check in with the teacher and, like, mm-hmm. how's he doing? And she's like, he's doing great. And I'm like, does he ever ask, you know, just kind of for, uh, you know, a little break where he can do fidgets? And she's like, no, he's not. She's like, he's doing fantastic. Like, he just really thrived in a group yeah. um, setting, and he did great. But they were just there for him, like, just in case he needs it. Now, I mean, I throw out flexible seating for, like, every single one of my kids because I think it's one of the coolest things um and it was just really cool to use it at home and like homeschooling but um yeah he didn't even really need to use some of those things right. but but again it was just nice to know that they were there and teaching him to communicate to know yeah. what's on it what if he needs some help to recognize and he knows he can ask for mm-hmm. that and i found just kind of as the years have gone on and we've learned more and more about disabilities um i found that a lot of teachers now are just implementing a lot of the things that we would normally put in a 504 or an iep they're already doing it for everybody anyway it's awesome and yeah. so which is great because everybody can use a lot of these things and so i think that's helpful when it comes to not overstacking the document with all of these yes. things because the teachers are already doing it right right yeah so. no i think it's fantastic 
um, I'm interested as they progress, like we've really only transitioned that 504 into a middle school, mm-hmm. but you're at the high school level. I love like a little picture of how, yeah. So some of those kind of move and grow and change and what that looks like. Yeah. And I think the example of your son is, is awesome that, you know, when he first came in, he had like five or six accommodations and as he's gotten older, his brain has matured a little mm-hmm. bit. He's definitely not there yet. Um, but you're, you're lessening the accommodations that he needs. And oftentimes that's what we see and that's what we like to see. Um, you know, it can be a document that they have until they graduate from high school. Um, But we, again, we don't want to keep a child identified or having these services if they don't need them anymore. So that's sometimes a conversation that we have, you know, that you've graduated, like you've done awesome. You know, Um, I've seen people have like confetti at the table and stuff to really celebrate it when the kid exits out. Um, But yeah, so, and then, but sometimes, you know, as school gets harder, um, sometimes they do need different accommodations or more accommodations, but it's really that transition of like, okay, so now you're in middle school. We probably don't need these little elementary school kind of more babier accommodations. Mm-hmm. Let's see what, what else we can do and really help to foster that independence. Um, and that's where I think, again, it's really important to have the student in on that meeting to say, really? yeah, right. I don't need these things, but maybe this would help instead. Yeah. yeah. So or even like, if you go back to like the diabetes conversation, like, Hey, I feel off right now. Maybe I don't take my, my blood sugar every time before I take a test, but now I'm 16 and I feel really off and I'm about to take a test. You know, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like yeah. you start to learn about yourself. It's mm-hmm. just really interesting. I mean, I don't have kids in public school, but we do have a, pr- a private teacher and it's interesting every so often because I talk to her all the time, but just watching the development. Cause I'm sure my five-year-old might not have had one his kindergarten year but as he struggled with reading and as he struggled with some emotional stuff he probably would have had one at some point in the system but watching his brain grow just like you just said like just watching them start to learn how to control their emotions or start to learn what works for them and things like that it's just it's fascinating to watch you know kids develop at different rates and Mm -hmm. you know as they as they grow yeah and that's interesting because we even had the conversation on the phone with a middle school counselor and we were honestly going back and forth saying, do we even need it anymore? Sure. Um, and that was the one thing, his fidget that he will verbally tell me it literally calms his body and his brain. Mm -hmm. And not even when he's like, he's, he's never like physically like out of control, but just hearing that that was a need that he still needed. And she's like, and I hesitate to just take it away because it is, you're hopping into a different, time she's like if you find seventh grade eighth grade he may not because i mean honestly every kid has a phone like right it's literally like a fidget you know (laughs) so there's nothing wrong you know everybody probably has a fidget there so he probably doesn't need it on there but just in case in this new kind of middle school learning time if there was anything else that needed to be added on she's like let's just keep it so that it's there just in case yeah so i can see how down the line as education gets a little bit more difficult you may do you may need to add and Mm-hmm. pull it different things on flows. there yeah, yeah definitely um and like you said i mean i think we do have those conversations especially with that transition from like fifth to sixth or eighth mm-hmm. to ninth you know um we might feel like a kid's ready to be dismissed but let's give it that transition year just to make sure yeah. um whereas if we know 100 percent you're good to go then you know we have that conversation but yeah sometimes we do keep it in just to as that transition just to make sure that you're really really there. So So do you have any Mm -hmm. other responsibilities from like a legal standpoint? I would assume that there's some sort of confidentiality that that happens with it. Like what are, you said you review it every 
year, but every three years or something. Like I'm just trying to figure out like once this piece of paper is created, what are the responsibilities like legally from the school system? Yeah, I mean, to make sure that we're in compliance as far as due dates. So there's somebody, um, whether that's, you know, an assistant principal or someone who's in a position like me, um, who is keeping track of all of those dates. So like I have a entire spreadsheet of all my kids that are in the school that have 504 plans and I have all their dates. What percentage? Um, Just ballpark it? Like, I don't even know. Um, I don't know if I'm trying to normalize it or if I'm trying to, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, are we, (laughs) I should have looked at that before I left, but, um, I honestly am not sure. Um, but you're also on the high school level. So there's probably more on the elementary school level maybe, or well different. I I think the percentages are probably the same when you break it down by percentage, because like in elementary, you have less numbers, but then you look at the percentage and then high school, you've got a ton of kids in a building, but again, that percentage is there. So, um, yeah. Um, so I, anyway, there's somebody in the building who definitely is monitoring those due dates, whether it's the annual due date and then the three year compliance date, and then they're setting up those meetings and making sure that everything is rolling, you know, on a consistent basis. Do you have any advice to a parent who feels like the 504 is not being followed? Is it best to go directly to the teacher first or is it best to go someplace else? Yeah. So, um, it's best typically, um, anybody with a 504, um, has a case manager that's assigned to them. Um, and it's different by different buildings. So some buildings, um, it's the school counselor, other buildings, it might be an assistant principal or like a Dean. Um, some buildings it's actually the classroom teacher. Um, so yeah, whoever that case manager is, is who I would recommend you reach out to. Um, and you let them know, like, I feel like, you know, Mrs. So-and-so is not following this and then they will reach out on your behalf have that conversation kind of gather the data um, and if needed collect the team you know have the team come back together and discuss where we need to move forward or if we've missed something here cool yeah yeah do we want to transition to IEPs yes we ready Yes. Yeah, cool. Because we're probably about halfway through. I think we could talk about this all day long. I, I know. Think it's oh, yeah. so interesting. I'm sure you have so much. I'm looking at your paper. I'm like, what, what, what else is <laughs> yeah. What else do you want to educate us what on? What else do you want to share? All right. So um, IEPs, different law. Yeah. So different law and... Um, individual education plan? Individualized okay. education plan. Okay. Yep. Um, and typically, just kind of to wrap your brain around it. So we have the 504s, which is typically a one-page document, which okay. has that handful of accommodations that that child needs. An IEP is typically anywhere from like 15 to 30-ish pages. Wow. It can okay. go anywhere depending on what that child needs. Um, so it's that I can understand why parents think that this 15 to 30 page document is way more important than a 504, but it's not. Um, it's, it's just, again, what your child needs. Um, so kind of the same process, you know, we get a referral, we bring the team together, um, and we hear the concerns of whoever made the referral. And then we decide if we need to move forward with evaluations or not. If we don't think that if we are not suspecting a disability and we don't feel like we need to move forward with evaluations, we always give recommendations to say, well, maybe you should try this, you know, with the child or, hey, teacher, you know, this, that, and the other, maybe you guys should be trying this. Um, So we never just let you just walk away and feel 100% defeated. I know parents feel defeated when we tell them no, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But... Um, and then you can always come back to the table. You could technically make a referral every day if you really wanted to. Um, (laughs) but so if we do decide to, um, conduct evaluations, we again are thinking about like what, 
what did we hear in that referral? So we kind of hear the red flags. So let's take autism, for example. We start hearing those red flags and we're going, okay, I'm not necessarily identifying this student just yet, but I'm hearing a lot of autism red flags. And so um, whoever's conducting an educational evaluation, that typically is... Um, a standard battery, we typically give it to any child, no matter what we're suspecting. But your school psychologists, they have wazoos of assessments that they can pull out. And mm -hmm. so that's when they start thinking, okay, I'm going to do some cognitive assessments. I'm going to look at possibly an autism rating scale. I'm going to look at some, you know, behavior scales. So they're really thinking about what do I have in my repertoire that's going to assess where the concerns are. And this is solely to ultimately help the child absolutely okay yes. yes we're not trying to like label we're not trying to you know what i'm saying like we're, no we're yeah. literally doing what needs to be done correct to get the services in yes. place to and help. we also never want to violate a student's civil rights by identifying them with something that they don't have mm -hmm. um and so we sometimes have to explain that to parents too um that while the parent might feel like their child is struggling, and that's a hard thing. I mean, I've been in that seat as a parent, too, to feel like your child is struggling, but they aren't struggling just enough to where we would think it's a disability. Um, and But we don't want to violate their civil rights by saying that they, you know, slapping this identification on them. Um, so that's why or we not have that process. Too, right. You know? mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so we decide what evaluations we're going to look at. We always do a hearing and vision screening just to kind of rule those out, make sure everything's, you know, working the way it's supposed to. Um, and educational and psychological are typically um, usually requested. Um, we'd like to get in the classroom and do an observation. Um, a social history is best practice. It's not necessarily required. Social history is where we look at uh, the birth of the child, the developmental history, you know, what kind of milestones um, did they meet or not meet? What were they behind on? Um, did they have any kind of traumas in their um, upbringing, whether that was like a traumatic brain injury or actual, you know, lived experience traumas? Um, what are mom and dad doing as, you know, um, that kind of, you know, that the, those issues? Um, and then if there's concerns that the child might need like some occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, I mean, there's so many things that we can request. So this is usually where parents um, or even team members, if the teacher is the one who made the referral, get frustrated because we have 65 days to complete um, and it's 65, uh, nope, yes, <laughs> that's where I always get it mixed up and no, I have to good. look at my, uh, my cheat sheet. It is um, 65 business days from the time that we received that referral okay. to complete our evaluations and come back to the table. Um, so you're looking That's a lot in 65 days. You just listed a really yeah. long <laughs> list of things well, that have to I, be completed in 65 days. Well, and these days, if, if you need a call and get a private evaluation or anything, some, some kids are like six months out. So some is all of this done by the school psychologist? This is all done by the school system. So, at, so hearing tests, mm -hmm. every, everything is done within the school system. Correct. And it's a hearing screening, screening. and okay. a vision screening. So the school nurse does that quick okay. and easy. Um, but yeah, if we have concerns, like let's say mm -hmm. they fail the hearing screening, we mm -hmm. will ask the parent to do a hearing test to get them to an audiologist for that. But yeah, everything else the school system does. It's all you know part of our wow. funding that we receive and we do that. Wow. And so it's funny to hear you say that that's a lot to do. It is a yeah. lot to do, but... For a parent who's waiting and nervous about their child, it feels mm -hmm. like a lifetime. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we started this process and here we are 
a month later, well, we still have another month. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's other kids in front of you or, you know, whatever yeah. we've got to do. So um, it can be a long process, especially because once we finish all that, we come back to the table, we present all of the results, we go through our checklist that the Department of Education has aligned for us to say whether your child is eligible or not. Um, and we can come back to that in just a second as far as how we determine that. But then let's say we do find your child eligible. We don't write the IEP that day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we are going to, we then have 30 days from the time we had that eligibility meeting and said your child was eligible to develop the IEP and have everybody else come back to the table again, go over that IEP mm-hmm. and make any changes that we need to before the parent accepts just it. Random question. Oh. What happens if life happens? Can you ask for an extension? Like, how does that work? I'm just wondering, just from a business standpoint. I know we shouldn't be asking for extensions, but I'm like sweating over here because I don't feel like I get anywhere in time, let alone a school system, let alone getting that many people together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the school system cannot ask for an extension. Okay. Um, okay. But the parents could. Let's okay. say if life happened on the parents' end, okay. um, they could do that. Um, but the school system cannot. So let's, okay. for the greatest example that we love, especially here in Virginia, because mm-hmm. we know the seasons change on a dime. Yeah. Um, when we get snow and mm-hmm. just and school closes, it doesn't matter. Um, those The timeline is still clicking. So wow. those days count towards our timeline. Um, and so there have been times when I have had eligibility meetings from the comfort of my couch on a snow day because we were going to miss the timeline if we didn't. Wow. Um, and do, we, do parents know these? They, some parents do, like some do parents some don't. Some educate themselves and they know this process. They know the timelines and all that. But I just would think majority would have no idea. Like I had no oh, I idea. Mean, I don't know any of this, but this yeah. is fascinating. And do you me. share that with them? I do. Like this is kind of our... This is yes, what it's I mean, going to look like. I can say that I personally do. I know that my team does, um, as well as the folks, other folks in my district do, definitely. But, um, you know, there might be some out there that don't. But, yeah, it's yeah. all out there for parents to access wow. if you want to take the time to. And that's what I find parents do once they get into this special club, if you mm-hmm. will, of, you know, kids with 504s and IEPs. They start to educate themselves and really look at what are their rights and responsibilities as a parent um, to learn all that. But yeah, I try to be very transparent with my parents. So tell me a little bit more about like some of the things that go on an IEP. Like what are, so we're, we're off of the 504 and we're over to the IEP. What are, what are we looking at there? Yeah. So when we find your child eligible, the biggest thing that um, that's making us say, yes, you are eligible for a special education service is um, specialized instruction. You require specialized instruction, whereas with a 504 plan, you don't. You just require these accommodations. Got it. Okay. Um, so specialized instruction can literally be anything. It might be that you need someone to sit with you one-on-one and review what happened in class. Or you might need to have two teachers in your classroom to assist you. Um, You might need to be in a smaller class setting where your instruction is coming from only a special education teacher who knows maybe some more of those behavior supports or things like that. Um, You might even require um, a a different placement than what the public school can offer. Um, And that's a whole other road that, you know, you can go down. So we're, we're really looking and thinking about that individual child, where those weaknesses are and what is that specialized instruction that you require that the general education teacher cannot provide you by themselves. So like getting pulled out of the class for speech or a learning disability or like Mm -hmm. extra reading help kind of fall under there? Yes. Okay. 
Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and you'll see often we've really in Virginia, especially um, over the past, I'd say 10 years, maybe even 15, gone to um, a collaborative model is what we call it, um, where you or a co-taught model where you have a general ed teacher um, in the classroom and a special education teacher in the classroom. And they're teaching together. They're helping all of the students. But um, that special education teacher is really helping the general education teacher to modify the assignments to say, you know what, this isn't going to work for those kids that have learning disabilities, let's change a couple of these things or awesome. create different activities that are going to work better for the kids with disabilities. Can we talk a little bit about, because I know when I was younger, there was like this big thing that happened about whether I had a learning disability when it came to spelling and like it went back and forth. And I actually was going through a box in my old house the other day and I saw, I should have looked at the top of the form. It was some old school typed out like yellow thing because I was, I mean, it was probably what, 30 years ago. Um, but they decided not to go further with testing because they got me like one of those like really old school like spelling machines. You know, those like little, like it was right at the beginning before like spell check came out. But anyways, they decided not to label it because they were worried about like the emotional impact actually labeling a learning disability on a child and being involved in all of this. And what does that do psychologically to them moving forward? Do they feel broken? Is it more of a, of a traumatic thing for them? Can you speak a little bit on that? Yeah. And I think, I mean, of course, it's going to differ from yeah, student to absolutely. student. Um, I think that's where it's important. We definitely have students that are like, absolutely not. You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't care how many things you tell me, you know, or whatever mm -hmm. reports you give me, I refuse to believe it. Um, and they will oftentimes not use their services. Um, but for the most part, I think most are very accepting about it. I think yeah. parents do a great job of explaining, like, we all learn differently. Absolutely. And you just happen to learn mm -hmm. in this different way that has a title to it, if yeah. you will. Um, and this is, you know, this document is here to help you. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the teachers are having those conversations mm -hmm. with them as well. Um, and that's one of the things I really love about the high schoolers is because if they've been identified early enough, they've mm -hmm. kind of gone through it. They've been mm -hmm. able to see themselves grow. They've been able to see how that document helps them. And then like, by the time they get to high school, a lot of times they can tell you like, here's where all my weaknesses are. Here are yep. the things I need. It's mm -hmm. so cool. Yeah. Like last night we were talking, we were getting ready for bed and Alex had speech yesterday. Alex is eight. Nathan is 10. Um, Nathan has a little bit of dyslexia, has a re has a private reading tutor. Alex goes to speech once a week. Alex has been in speech for private speech for like years now. But Alex was talking about what has to happen for him to graduate speech. And he's down to one letter and he has to get it right 93% of the times for three weeks in a row. And so I asked him yesterday, I was like, hey, Alex, how did you do today? He's like, I only got an 87. And so he was explaining <laughs> that he had to get a 93 for three weeks in a row. And Nathan goes, that is not fair. Then he's going to be done with his problem. He's like, and I'm still going to be working on my problem. <laughs> and I was like, no, I said, we'll find something else that Alex can work on. But it's really funny because, I mean, I redirected them and said it wasn't a problem. And we talk about, you know, me going to therapy and dad's eyes and all of this stuff. You know, we but you normalize <laughs> the fact that imperfection is part mm -hmm. of life. Absolutely. Like every single human being, no matter how cool you think Mr. Beast is on YouTube, he's got his own stuff, you know, and we talk about it. And I think it's really cool that you have high schoolers that are showing up that are like, hey, yeah, I get some help here. And yeah. that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Like it's such a good character building thing, I feel like. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And I think it's helped that just 
society in general has come a long way. Like if you think about when we went to school, absolutely, we never looked around and we could not see the students that had like significant disabilities that you could look at them and know that they had a disability. They were Mm -hmm. hidden somewhere in our school in a back classroom. They are now included. They Mm -hmm. are not in a back classroom. Um, You know, they're getting jobs out in the community. Like they are part of our society. And so I think that that has helped a lot for the kids that are growing up now. They're just like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, like that's typical. That's normal. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. It's just come so far. I don't know. It's just, I think it's really cool that we're like walking that line of like normalizing, you know, imperfection. None of us are perfect. And and to speak to that, I feel like when we were talking about like it's physically, like you can see it or you can't. And there was like one classroom Mm -hmm. and like, you know, only those kids with maybe a physical disability were in there. And now when I speak to the teachers and even the principal and her feelings around a collab classroom where a lot of the kids who do have 504s or maybe IEPs are in there because it's easier access to speech help or reading help or math help or whatever you need. Um, But I love their outlook on it is that they want a whole range of kids in that class because for my son who often misses social cues and some things like that, it's not going to benefit him if there are no other, if there are other people that can't help him along with those conversations. So it is a whole blend of students. And I think what that does is it does, it brings awareness and it includes everybody and it's fantastic. It's not like singling out, and you may, you're made to feel different and kind mm-hmm. of a different education route and things like that. So, and yeah, I think also too, like Lindy and I both have a lot of children. Um, I think we both have six, but um, <laughs> it's interesting though, because I think we also sometimes speak to things on here from a very like different, a little bit more mature parenting place with the fact that like, I wouldn't have gotten this far without realizing that I need help and without realizing that there are people out there that are literally trained to help our kids with places that they struggle. I think sometimes, especially with younger kids, even just realizing that your kid isn't perfect and that, you know, there might be places where you do need to potentially diagnose or refer or, you know, get help from somebody else that can sometimes be a really hard thing for a mother, you know, cause you've just looked at this little perfect human being for so long and then realized that, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's some places that they might need some extra help. Absolutely. You know? And I think I can, I mean, for me, you know, again, I've, I live, eat and breathe special education. Yeah. I could do this in my sleep. Um, and for my son, um, Several years back, I remember he needed speech services Mm -hmm. and I was so nervous going into that speech meeting um, for the referral. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to tell me no. And like, I'm just crazy because I see it all the time. So I think I like, and I was, it was so weird to be on the other side of the table, even though I knew all of the things that they should have said or that they were going to say, and it all worked out fine. But I, I was like, okay, now I finally understand how the Mm -hmm. parents actually feel because I finally felt it myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's so crazy. Like the, one of the coolest things I've learned about parenthood is that the people that are there to help our kids like you are normally very gifted at what they do. Like there is just this sense of comfort and like, cause Lindy Gabe sees the same. It's Alex's speech 
therapist. I don't know what kind of therapy does she do. With he does. We do like a social pairing uh-huh. or a um, small group. But it's the yeah. it's the same woman, and we talk about her all the time. Yeah. She's like she sent me a text the other day. She's because I have two in speech now, of course, probably three at some point. Um, and she was like, "Your children are just dear to me." But I look at her and mm-hmm. I'm like, "You are just a gift. You are a gift to mothers because." you come to it from such like a normalization perspective. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you're talking about this stuff today that could be so scary and so overwhelming. And is my child broken, but I need help. Cause I feel like I'm failing. There are so many like deep core, like motherhood emotions wrapped up in so much of this stuff. And to know that there are safe people out there that can just kind of normalize it. I don't mm-hmm. know. It just makes me so happy. It was like the first time we spent, we sent Nathan to, his reading teacher. And I was like, do you think he has dyslexia? And she's like, it doesn't really matter either way. She's like, we're going to work with him and we're going to, and we're going to get him to where he needs to be. And you know, he'll catch Mm -hmm. up one day. He's, but she looked at me and she's like, I need to let you know. She's, he probably will never be a kid that picks up a book and reads it. Sure. And we had a conversation at the end of the summer and, or at the beginning of the summer. And I was like, "I, I really want him to be reading. And she's like, here is an audio, some sort of audio book thing that he got a free membership to because she was able to click some boxes or whatever. And he, mm-hmm. she was like, this is going to be your option for a while. And I had to come to terms with that. And that's okay because he's who he is. But it's such a gentle process when I feel like people work with kids that's, that have unique needs all the time. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just Absolutely. wish parents would, or mothers especially, would learn mm-hmm. that there is softness in the system in some ways, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, it's, it's challenging. I mean, Mm -hmm. it really is. And especially, unfortunately I see it because they're coming when they come to high school. Um, they've had five, six, eight years, you know, maybe more, um, of, of building a wall and sometimes not all the time, you know, but when I see those parents and I, I want to just love on them and say, it's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry for all those bad experiences that you've had, but like, we're going to make it better. And we're going to break down those walls, you know, one time, you know, one, Mm -hmm. one hammer at a time or whatever. Um, and also I think parents sometimes when they're able to reflect and realize that they might be a difficult parent, sometimes they (laughs) are afraid that we're going to take it out on their kid. And I can absolutely a hundred percent tell you that no matter how difficult you are as a parent, Mm -hmm. we will not ever take it out on your child. Um, And oftentimes we have to have those conversations to say, Oh, you know, that was really a rough parent, but we Mm -hmm. absolutely love this child and it's not their fault. And we're still going to support and do all Mm -hmm. the things we can with that child. Cause they're the one we're dealing with six hours a day. Oftentimes we're dealing with mom and dad, you know, a couple hours here and there. (laughs) And I'm sure the parents too are coming to it. Like you said, with just years of just trying to advocate and also probably on the high school level, there probably starts, I mean, I'm not there yet, but some anxiety of, Oh my gosh, this kid has to launch in four years. And and how, like, what is that going to look like? And, 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 and how do we get there? You know? Yeah. And I'd like to think maybe some of those more difficult parents are really just coming from such a place of, I love my kids so much and I'm so anxious and mm-hmm. I'm worried. And Absolutely. I'd almost think you'd may, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. You'd rather have that parent than the one that like won't even show up and won't oh, yeah. even, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and 
That kind of yeah. Thing. I mean, it's a whole spectrum, unfortunately. You know, yeah, of all sorts. it really is. It really is. But all right, why don't you leave yeah. us with? Do you have Do you have any other things that we haven't hit on that you wanted to yeah. make sure that I we have talk so about? much? But okay. um, <laughs> I know. I can, any like, advice, especially for moms that are starting kids or starting school, yeah. or yeah. moms that are starting to wonder if their kid does need like that early intervention stuff yeah. maybe before elementary school. Yeah, stuff. I think when it comes to, especially for early intervention, work with your physician because they're going to be able to help you really identify those milestones, the developmental milestones. And we know children meet them at all different, you know, all different mm-hmm. times, what's best for them. But there does come a point when we're concerned that they haven't met it yet. Um, and so if your doctor is starting to be concerned, you're starting to be concerned, then definitely reach out and make that connection. Um, you know, here in Virginia, we start special education um, at the age of two. Um, some other states, like I said, the feds say the age of three. So we're ahead of the game, if you will. Um, and it does start with early intervention, which is outside of the school system. Um, and you have outside agencies, but you can call whatever your home school is and say, I think my child has a disability. Mm-hmm. I want to get into early intervention or have that conversation. They will direct you to where you need to go. Um, and then once they go into the school system, obviously the school system deals with that. And there are pre-K programs at the school system if your child meets the criteria. So again, just look on your district's website and look at what that criteria is. Um, But I think the number one thing for me is just, I know that it can be a very hard and difficult um, situation or system to navigate, but ask all of the questions and really trust the school system if you can, um, or maybe not necessarily the whole, the school system as a whole, but trust your school and the fat, you know, the people that you're dealing with. And they really are coming from a genuine place of wanting to help and wanting to care. We're not out to get the kids <laughs> or you as parents, you know, we want to help them, but we also don't want to over identify if that's not the need. Um, but always being open and honest and we want to have a relationship, um, very much like a marriage. There's going to be some hard days, you know, but, um, we can work through that if we can learn how to communicate and work with each other. It's awesome. I yeah, and it. just a little bit from my experience, because my girls, we started the early intervention with speech, my youngest too. And it was, they were fantastic. And I know that's just in Chesterfield County, but it was like a seamless, like how it just went over when they that's were going awesome. into kindergarten. And I almost think it was a little bit easier if you are noticing those things early to work with the intervention, they would come to our home a wonderful woman came to our Mm -hmm. home and would work on speech with games. And then once obviously they turned, I think it is three, then they need to go into the school. Right. But literally the paperwork and everything, they were fantastic. So it sounds like a big, Oh my goodness, where do I go? What do I do? But yes, the physician or even just calling up to your school and they will, they will get it set up. Does one have an IEP now? The one that's still in speech? Yeah. So I actually, I said I didn't have, I guess I do have one with an IEP. (laughs) Um, but I honestly, like, they're just like it's kindergarten, seamless. first grade. So yeah. I feel like I haven't even gotten to them yet. I still have like all these other ones. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the one just dropped. She just graduated from, from her speech. IEP. And yeah. then um, the other one gets a bit of speech. Yep. So that's yep. cool. Yep. Yeah. I think just normalize it. Yeah. Advocate for your kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank yep. you so much for being here. No problem. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs>